0: Morning. Uh, little series called, remember my cute little title, The Times of the Sign. Uh, and today, part two is identifying the enemy. Identifying the enemy. A scripture that we'll be reading from today is the one that we left you with a couple of weeks ago. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, within this scripture. You remember we talked about uh, last time Jesus' admonition to the four disciples there in what is known as the Olivet Discourse, and uh, it's in Matthew 24 and 25, Luke chapter 21, Matthew chapter 13. They're all the same discourse, and the uh, admonition that Christ gives to his disciples when they ask him about uh, the time of his coming, the signs, what would be the signs of your coming and of, of the end of the age is what they ask him. And he starts off with and punctuates at least three more times within that discourse, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. And you remember, we also talked about it with you. Let's just touch on it again. What do we call it? This is one of those... Fancy things that we do. The thesis of this series, that that we tend to uh, study and to learn. By the end of this series, this congregation and all those who hear these words shall know of a certainty what that the single greatest sign of the soon return of Jesus Christ. We shall firmly establish by the holy scriptures through observation of present events that what Jesus foretold as a sure sign of his return has never been clearer. And what is that sign? The sign given by the Savior, the proliferation of false teaching from those within the church who are themselves supposedly Christian. Not the evildoers out on the streets, not the malcontents that, that curse God, that walk around and give the Christian people a hard time. But I'm talking about the single greatest sign of the soon return of Jesus Christ is the filth that's going on behind pulpits in churches today. Amen. Absolutely. And if you don't think that there's a lot of it going on, uh, then you're blessed because you're, you you had not been paying a lot of attention. There's a lot of junk that is going on in our churches today. And you see... It's not just, uh, you know, in times past, we would uh, speak of this and then preach on a sermon like that, and people would think, yeah, those big cities and, you know, uh, those giant ministries and things like that, but it's not that way anymore. There's junk going on in Polk County today. There's junk happening in Rockmart this morning. There's junk going on all over the place, supposedly in the name of the living God, and that's what we want to point out. That's what we want to look at. That's what we want to be able to identify. Because you see, what is all this This is just fancy words and fancy titles and all such as that. But if you can't identify a false teacher when you hear them or when you see them, what good is this? You see, that's what Christ is telling his disciples. In fact, it has never been more clear uh, that he was commanding them, do not be deceived. He was adamant in that. You need to be able to see, to hear, to know when somebody's a false teacher. You need to be able to identify them. Don't fall into this uh, preconceived notion that we have about, oh, we're not supposed to judge other people, and we're not supposed to uh, think this or that about them. Scripture plainly teaches us that we'll know a tree by the fruit it bears. If I want a a, a pear or something like that, I'm not going to go to the apple orchard. I'm not going to go up to North Georgia to the apple orchard and say, where's y'all's pears at? we got apple trees here, son. You can't get pears here. And you see, it's the same thing with the truth of Scripture. If somebody's telling us something that don't sound right, that don't look right, that don't seem right, then you know what we got to do? We got to fall back on Acts 17, 11. you remember those guys? The Bereans, the Bereans. Yeah, the disciples, the apostles came over there and preached to them, and they, they received it all with joy of heart. But then they went back to the scriptures to see if those things were true that they just got through hearing. You see what's going on? You see what we've run into is a, uh, you know, Well, let me just, I got on the preachers a little bit, okay? Now let me get on the congregation. This ain't personal or nothing like it. It's not this congregation, but all congregations, okay? You see, what we've got into in our day and time, especially in our culture, in our society, is people have gotten content to get their theology from hearing somebody else. Oh, that guy went to seminary. Uh, They studied. Uh, They did this. If they said that, then, hey, it's got to be true. No, it don't. Let me tell you something. There's some junk going on in uh, seminary Seminary, I started to say cemeteries, but seminaries today too. They teach you some junk in there as well. And you see, we've got to be able to identify that. And you see, why is this so important? Why is it so important that we be able to identify this? Because this is the single greatest indicator that the end is near. Ooh, oh, the end is near. Uh, you think about that guy standing on the street, don't you? That guy with the messed up hair and, and rough clothes. Repent, the end is near. Yes, yes, we're that guy this morning. We're him. Let's look at this, Second Timothy chapter 3. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Now, he goes on into further detail, but I want to jump down to where we talked about uh, last week in the 16th verse, okay? Because Paul, writing to Timothy, goes through all these things, and then he gets down to the 16th verse, and he says what? All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Okay. So we see inside this total chapter here. All right. Well, we need to understand from scripture. I left you that question. Why is this verse in the place where it's at in scripture? You know, we've, we've heard that verse before many times, haven't we? All scripture is given by God. You know, it's given by inspiration. We've seen it, probably seen it on t-shirts, probably uh, been on posters before in vacation Bible school or something like that. And we go, oh yeah, all scripture is given by inspiration. But I want you to notice where in scripture it is at. It is right in the same speech, the same presentation that Paul is giving to Timothy about listening out, about being able to identify What? False teachers. Notice this, what he says. We read those things that he talked about, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Now, you're going to find out something as we go through this uh, little short series here. Something else I want us to be on the lookout for. Something else that we may not have thought of before, may not have realized before, uh, but according to biblical eschatology, fancy word for uh, studying of the end times, right? According to that, according to prophecy that has been going on, remember we talked about this a little bit Wednesday, I think we tried to touch on it a couple of weeks ago, uh, but we've got to be looking at scripture, what? According to the Jewish perspective, understanding how they interpret prophecy. And it's not the the Greek, the Hellenistic model of uh, prediction of prophecy is prediction. Make a, predict, a prediction that comes to pass, oh, well, that's prophecy. No, it's prophecy, is pattern. Remember that time and time again. The things that have been are the things that will be. God is establishing this pattern. The Holy Spirit establishes this pattern. You know, we talk about things in Scripture. Oh, well, if you see a mountain in Scripture, you know that it represents, you know, the the, the the kingdom, the government, the American represents power. How do we know that? Because the Holy Spirit is consistent throughout Scripture to use this type. And so when we look at this, when we look and understand that pattern is prophecy, that things that have been are the things that will be, that God is using this to be able to, so that we might better understand Scripture Because you don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to be a doctor. And you don't have to have a college education to be able to understand scripture. You don't. Not even to be able to understand end times events. Not even to be able to understand the book of Revelation. You don't have to be a scholarly person. What do you have to be? You have to be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because it is a spiritual thing. You see, the Holy Spirit is the inspiration for all scripture. The Holy Spirit is our teacher for all scripture. It's not listening to a man or anybody else so that they might allow us to comprehend it. But what it is, is being led by the Spirit. And you see when, uh, getting back to the original point I was getting on, when Paul says to Timothy, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. You know, we've preached a lot of times before that the apostles, the disciples, you know, believed that they were in the last days. And, you know, we say that and people say, yeah, you know, I, they, they believed that and understood that. And, you know, we, we preach that and we teach that. But what we really need to understand is that the last days have actually already began oh how do you know that joy because they began with the resurrection and the ascension of the lord and savior jesus christ he was what the first fruits from the dead you remember scripture the old testament saints what got up and walked around in jerusalem what yeah it's just a little verse in there. I guess the only reason that there's not more written about that is because they're like me. They just didn't know what was going on. What's happening here? The last days have already began. And you see, as we see in Scripture, things so many times are a, 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 a process of things happening. And Jesus began this process of the last days. However, just like in Daniel, we see an interlude, a period between the 69th and the 70th week. Uh, in uh, Revelation, we see an interlude between the 6th and the 7th seal. We see an interlude between the 6th and the 7th trumpet and the 6th and the 7th bowl judgment. There's a type, a pattern within Scripture. And that pattern is followed as well be- after the, the ascension of Jesus Christ. Because what God had taught all through Old Testament, that what I'm going to call out for me, a people that did not know me, I'm going to call out a people from amongst the Gentiles. And you see, Paul explains this very clear, that because of the hardness of the the Jewish heart, that salvation was turned to, to the Gentiles. And that was by design. That was by design, but you see that's not going to last. There has been an interlude since the Jewish people rejected their Messiah, and in that interlude, it is known as what? The age of grace, the church age. That's the age you and I live in, but guess what? That interlude's coming to an end. It's coming to an end one day. We're we're comfortable I mean, we're in a lull. We've been in it for almost 2,000 years now, and we're thinking, man, we've got it made. It's coming to an end. It is coming to an end. That we have been in an interlude. Christ had to leave, so what? The Holy Spirit could come. But we see in Revelation, we see this, the teaching that what? That the Holy Spirit's going to be called out. Why is the Holy Spirit called out? Because Jesus is coming back. You see? That, that pattern, that prophecy that's established there. And so we are already in the last days. We are just experiencing the mercy and the grace of Almighty God. And you see the single greatest indicator that that time, that time that Jesus warned his disciples about, because that's specifically what they asked him about. How do we know about your second coming? When you're going to come back, how do we know that? And he tells them these things, and he and he speaks of it plainly. Do not be deceived. And notice what Paul says to Timothy here in the fifth verse. Because he there in the second verse he mentions what men shall be lovers of their own self, the covetous, boasters. You know all this stuff. Third verse, all this stuff. Fourth verse, all this stuff. And then he gets to the fifth verse. And, you know, we read 2, 3, and 4, and we're thinking, man, this is just a renegade, a a bunch out there of of just no good, good for nothing, dirty, rotten sinners. Then we get to the 5th verse, and we're like, yeah, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Man, they just, they're no good, they're no good. Who's he talking about? Is he talking about these people out here? running dope up and down the road, uh, killing people, kidnapping people. is, is That's who he's talking? Is he talking about these people running up and down the road? Uh, talking about they don't need people at the church. Church is hypocrites. I don't need God. Uh, he, he, I ain't got no use for him. Is that who he's talking about? No, that's not who Paul is talking about. Because when we begin to expand Scripture, when we break away, we see this third chapter that he wrote for Timothy to keep his eyes open and to be aware, written in the greater context. We break it back uh, to all of Timothy, and we understand it's the very same thing. And then we begin to look uh, from an even further perspective, and we notice that not only Paul, uh, but Peter and John and all the writers of the epistles uh, had the same thing in mind. Keep your eyes open, church, because people are kind coming into the church and teaching false doctrine. No, Paul said they're having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Paul is talking about people that are in our churches. And we see this time and time again. We'll get to that in just a minute. But I want you to notice this. Our Greek for today. Having a form, form, morphosis. You, you might recognize that we know the word metamorphose. We know what, uh, what's that? Uh, kind of like the, the transformer. Zachary can probably tell you about the transformers. You know, how they change their cars and they change into robots. Something changing into something else. Well, this is the word that Paul uses, morphosis. It means a forming, A shaping, get this, the mere form, a semblance of. Paul says these people have a form of godliness. A form of godliness. What's Paul saying? What is Paul saying? A form of godliness. Now I look around at everybody here today, and you're looking at me, and guess what? We all look like we have what? A form of godliness. We're in church. Hey, I got on a tie. I got it clipped down back here on my shirt where it won't move around, and I'll stay neat looking. I got on. I, I dusted off my old shoes. Son, you got on to me this morning because I broke out my old shoes, and she she said I should have wore the ones with the with the square point. But I think they look like a clown, and I'm not gonna wear them. So uh, she got on to me. But I I got my shoes on. They're shined up. We look nice. And if you wear the square pointed shoes, don't, I'm not talking about you. Man. I'm not talking about you. All right? That's all right, brother. You've you got to be able to pull that off. Like I said, by Adam's vest. That's a young man's game. All right? That's a young man's game. You see what I'm saying? Having a form of godliness. We all look like we're godly people. Everybody here looks like they're saved. But you see, the thing that Paul is speaking of, this morphosis, this having a form, a shape, just a mere semblance, is the outer shell. When you look at these people, when you look at these false teachers, guess what? You're not going to be able to pick them out. You're not going to be able to look at somebody and say, "Pooh, false teacher. False teacher. And it's true. Listen, I can tell you, I can go home and turn on my TV and flip over to uh, any of the so-called religious channels on TV and all these so-called religious teachers on TV. They all look, I mean, they're probably dressed sharper than I am. The words that they use, they don't have a slang. They don't talk like I do. They're nice and proper. They pronounce I mean, they look and sound good. And when I look at them, I'm like, you know, whoa. They look like they got it together. But what do you do? You see these guys, but then you start listening to them and listening to what's coming out of their mouth. And you see what's coming out of their mouth is not lining up with this right here, the word of the living God. And you see when it's, When what somebody's saying and speaking is not lining up with this, then we've got a problem. But you see what's going on in these last days is that these guys are so slick. These guys are so driven by their lust and their greed, and we'll see that's what Peter tells us, drives them. They're so driven by that that they're able to convince you that God has given them a revelation. God has given me a word. God has showed me a sign. Oh, really? And you see, they are able to convince people that these things are true. Why are they able to convince people that these things are true? Was well, what we said a while ago. People have gotten what? They're content to sit right here and let somebody else tell them what their doctrine. No, no, no! You be a Berean. You be a Berean. I don't know. It don't matter how much you like Old Joey. Don't matter how much you like me. You be a Berea. If I say something, when you get home, no matter how much you agree with it, you break out the word and you make sure it's here. And if it's not here, then you come and see me because there's a problem. Because I'm not teaching and I'm not preaching anything that's not in here. And if anybody else is doing that, guess what? They're not teaching. They're preaching like what Paul says, a false Jesus. What did he say? Even if an angel, even if an angel shows up and starts <coughs> preaching to you another Jesus, let him be accursed. Oh, so you see, Paul is telling Timothy in the church, these people are going to, I mean, they're going to absolutely look like they fit right in. They're going to look like they're just all oh, kind of godliness. But notice that's what Paul says. Having a form, a mere semblance of godliness. Godliness. That word there is Eusebia. Eusebia. It means reverence, respect, piety towards God. Oh, they, they're slick. They are slick. They're all over the place. They're everywhere. You see, this is what we're talking about. How do we know that the end is near? How do we know that the end times of what Paul or what Jesus warned his disciples about? How do we know that they're closer and closer? Because the proliferation of those that are teaching deceitful doctrines. And false teachings. Many shall come in my name. Many shall call and say that here's the Christ. There's the Christ. There'd be all kind of false antichrist everywhere. Not just one. There's a spirit of antichrist. That goes out into the world. We're going back to what we talked about. Prophecy is patterned. It keeps happening. We see these things time and time and again. Paul says they have a form of godliness, a semblance of godliness, of respect, of piety towards God. Oh, they sound real good, but what does it say? But denying the power thereof. And notice this, from such turn away. You see, that's another thing we've got into in our culture, in our society. We've gotten to the point, and the time is like uh, we just don't want to hurt nobody's feelings. If somebody's teaching false doctrine in our church, oh, we'll just you know just let's just let it slide, and you know maybe they'll uh, either they'll they'll find their way or or they'll go on down the road. But let's let's just don't say nothing. No, 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 no. We are assembled together. There, there's nothing holy about these. I mean, I love what we've done with the church. The paint, the windows, I I love this stuff, but there's nothing holy about any of this. This is not a church. This is a church building. This is a building that we have chosen as a congregation to come together and to worship the living God. That's what we have chosen to do. And when we come this way, we reverence him, we honor him, we lift him up. It's not about anything else but him. And you see, when people begin to deny the power thereof, they have this form of godliness. It all looks good. But they're denying the power thereof. What are they doing? Denying the power thereof? What are they doing? What is the power? What is the power of godliness? Were you born Born godly? Did you buy godliness? Two for one at the local retail outlet? (laughs) Did you earn your godliness? (laughs) I didn't. I didn't. Was it inherited? Maybe you inherited your godliness. Maybe you had godly parents and they passed it down to you. Huh. We, you know where we get it. Where does our godliness come from? Where does anything about us, our holiness, our justification, our sanctification, where does all this come from? It comes from Jesus Christ Amen. and him alone. And you see, that's what Holy Spirit's doing in the world today. (coughs) What did Jesus tell the disciples? That when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll do what? He'll bring all things to your remembrance. In other words, he will teach you about the very word that he inspired. He's our teacher. He will convict the world of sin. That's what he's doing, convicting the world of sin. Oh, the world don't want to hear that, John. No, sin. Uh Uh-uh. Maybe that's a life choice. Oh, it's not sin, though. It might be wrong for you, but it, it don't mean it's wrong for me. Oh, no, no, no. You see, Scripture tells us what's right and what's wrong. Don't get into all this relativism where each person chooses right and wrong for themselves. No, God chooses right and wrong. And you see, the the, the teachers in our churches today have this form of godliness. They want to say you've got you've got mega pastors, and, and I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be afraid to say that probably seventy five to eighty percent. Of the people in this congregation, probably have one or two of the books from one of these mega pastors in your house today who teach that it's, you don't, to be a Christian, you don't have to come out of your Buddhist or your Hindu tradition. You can still be a Christian and be in that. You can still be a a Muslim and go to the mosque and still be accepted by Jesus Christ. There's, Mega church, super pastors, you know their name, Southern Baptists, they're in there teaching this junk. And what are people doing? They're flocking to their churches. They're buying their books. What's going on? You see, it's what Paul was talking about. When you get to the last days, you're going to have people what that's got these itching ears. All they want is for you to pacify them. And that's what's going on in our country. Our country is imploding at this moment. It doesn't matter who got elected. It doesn't matter what the agenda is. Our country is imploding spiritually. And it is going to continue to do that. You got this new apostolic revolution that's going on. Uh, this sign and wonders group that keep talking about there's going to be a great revival going on. They prophesy on this prophet and they prophesy on that prophet and all these things going on. And what do they do? Uh, they continue uh, to preach in a false spirit and teach false doctrines. And what's happening? People's flocking to those places. Why? Because they don't know the word. That's why verse 16 is in there. That's why Paul says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. The Holy Spirit is our Bible teacher. The Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit alone. All right, very quickly, let's look at these different verses. Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3. Verses three through four. Knowing this verse, that there shall come in the last days scoffers. We've heard this verse. Walking after what? Their own lust. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Well, yeah, we've read that before, Joey. That's about people that start making fun of us in the last days. No, understand what Peter is writing here. Where is the promise of his coming? Listen, who's talking about the coming of Jesus Christ? The last, you know, uh, community meeting you want to, did they get up and had, was one of the agenda items the second coming of Christ? When you go to the PTA meetings at the schools where your kids are at, is that on the agenda there? Are they talking about the second? When you pick up uh, the newspaper, when you uh, flip on the TV news, are they talking about the second coming of Christ? No. Who's talking about the second coming of Christ? The church. We are. But notice what Paul says. Where is the promise of his coming? Do you know... How many churches today deny, deny the second coming of Jesus Christ? More than accepted. More than accepted. Oh, are you sure? Yes, I'm positive. Very few Protestant, so-called evangelical, so-called conservative churches even believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ. They believe it's all uh, just an allegory. They believe these things were just written for to encourage us. But there's no millennial kingdom. There's no earthly reign of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the devil is sitting back laughing. Laughing. Because that's exactly what he wants. Peter said that the people that will be scoffers, the scoffers that are what? Walking after their own lust. Whoa, hold on a second. You see? Now I know y'all laugh at me. I know you make fun of me. But you know what I say about a man. You know what I say. There's nothing a man likes to talk about more than what? Himself. There's nothing a man likes to look at more than what? Himself. There's no subject that excites a man more than what? himself. Boom. Walking after their own lust. Do you know what? You see, we could, man, if all these pews was full in here and everything, and all the people were just excited and jumping around, and we got through, and all the people come running up, Joey, you're you're just, man, I just love your teaching. I love the way you do things. You're just so enlightening and everything. You see, when that keeps happening progressively and progressively more, guess what? That Ego, that, that, uh, that pride begins to build up. And it's like Paul says man begins to think himself something when he is not. You see, this is who Peter's talking about. The last day scoffers walking after their own lust. People are telling other people what they want to hear simply to do what? Sell a book, get some money in the plate. All these so-called mega preachers. Let me tell you this little secret. You, might, you may not know this, but if you do, I'll let you in on it. And you may want to use this trick. I mean, it's all right if you want to. Uh, but these so-called mega preachers with all these books on the uh, bestseller list, All right, let me tell you how they do that. Uh, they have these large congregations, and what they do is they send out these emails and things to these congregations and people in their churches. And what they do is they sell their books uh, at uh, regular cost uh, to the congregation, okay? And now the book's not, not out in print yet, okay? It hadn't, it hadn't gone to print yet. They, they pre-order those books, and they get all these people and, and all their friends to pre-order those books at the regular retail cost, okay? And they sell so many of those books like that at retail cost, all right, say, you know, ten thousand, fifty thousand at retail cost, and what they do is they turn that money around and then go buy their books. When the author buys his books from the publisher, he don't pay retail. Guess what he pays? He pays the publisher's cost, which is way lower. And so I can turn ten thousand books into fifty thousand books. I didn't really sell fifty thousand books because you see, they buy all those extra books and do what? Sell them at a lower cost. Hallelujah. You see, what's it about? It's about money. It's about pride. That's all it's about. That's what's going on in our world today. This is who our preachers and our teachers are in this society today. I would not. Well, there's one guy. There's one guy that comes on TV, and I'm still searching him out. I'm not sure about him. He comes on that Channel 14 channel. But y'all may know who I'm talking about. But I watch him some, and I'm studying him out a little bit. But besides that, there's not a teacher that comes on my television set that I have any confidence in whatsoever. None of them. None of them. Because you see, Scripture plainly teaches and shows us that the closer we get to the end of time, the closer that we get to the coming of Antichrist, the closer that we get to the Harpezo, the rapture, the closer we get to the Anastasia, the resurrection, the closer we get to the second coming of Jesus Christ, that the teaching of God's Word is going to get more and more sparse. That people are going to be meeting in smaller and smaller groups. Not larger and larger ones. There is no great revival. The only revival is that of evil itself. It's not of the word of God. What does Amos say? He said there's going to be a famine in the land. Not of water. Not of rain. Hearing the word of God. Ooh, So you see... When I see a big crowd gathering somewhere, I get a little nervous. I'm sorry. Peter said that. These scoffers, these guys walking after their own lust, they say, where's the promise of his covenant? In other words, they are people that are in our churches. They are people that are leaders of our so-called denominations and such as that. For since the fathers fell asleep, well, look at that. Uh If the Bible's talking about unbelievers, it doesn't use that term. Unbelievers die. Believers fall asleep. That's what Peter's talking about. Everything he's talking about here is inside the church, the body. This is who he's talking about. He's not talking about the the gang down the road. No, he's talking about the gang sitting in the pews. Where's the problem? Oh, he's not coming back. I could, I could, I could bring you article after article of, of churches, of denominations in our country today that are succumbing to the popular culture, that are ordaining, that are uh, accepting, and all such of that, all different kinds of people into their churches saying we must be inclusive. We must join hand in hand with those who are different religions. called ecumenicism. ecumenicism. Bring everybody together. Oh, Jesus said to pray. He prayed for the unity of his people. Yes, he did. Of his people. Those that are true believers in Jesus Christ. Peter said that. All these things continue as they were from the beginning. Did you know that church people, so-called church people, are going to be making fun of us for believing in the second coming, for believing in the rapture, for believing in the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. Church people are going to make fun of us. And that's where we're at today. That's already happening. That popular teacher I told you about a while ago that's got the book that you probably got at home, he teaches his congregation what? Don't read the book of Revelation. Don't. Don't get involved in that end time stuff. Another giant popular preacher that makes fun, mocks from the pulpit, those that study eschatology, end time events, says they are conspiracy theorists. These are mega pastors. Millions have fought worldwide. And this is what they're saying. Don't study the book of Revelation. It's a diversion. Teacher after teacher after teacher that's teaching this stuff. That's what Peter said. He said that's what's going to happen. Notice this. Jesus said this in Matthew 24 this was during the discourse down in the 24th verse of the 24th chapter he said for there shall arise false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible they shall deceive the very elect elect oh those God has preordained from the beginning of time no, 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 no if you are elect, guess what? you have received your election through Jesus Christ the church the saved believers are the elect though the believer the jewish believers are the elect the elect is never used of a non unbeliever no unbeliever is of the elect so if we're elect guess what it's because of Jesus Christ but what does Jesus say will be one of the signs? Matter of fact, one of the greatest signs. There shall arise what false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Get this now. Get this. The show great signs and now how many people how many people you meet at Walmart say hey walk up to you and say, let me show you a sign and wonder you' met any of them you ever been out to the grocery store and somebody showed up let me show you some signs and wonders Where do you see all that at in churches don't you or you might some of these cats have got crusades that come around' they'll, they'll you know you can come in they'll uh, for a small fee you know of course they'll show you some signs and wonders. But Jesus is talking about so called churches, so called bodies of believers. They're going to show great signs and wonders, and so much that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Why would it not be possible? Why is it going to be impossible for these deceivers to deceive the very elect? Only, only. Because we are in the Word. Because Jesus is our focus. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. And only because that. If it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. So once again, we look at why does Paul put that verse in there? Why does Paul say that? In verse 16, all, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You see, he's warning Timothy where he's got to get his correct information from. You've got a teacher out here, and, and there are popular teachers out there that will tell you, how do you know the Holy Spirit's talking to you? How do you know if something's right or something's wrong? And people will say, well, you've got to trust your feelings. You've got to trust your heart. Oh, really? The Bible tells me that the heart is deceitful. Whoa, what am I going to do? I, trust my intellect? Uh, I don't think so what how do we, how do we know right from wrong how do we, how do we know what we need to do because we go to scripture Jesus in the printed word that's how serious is Jesus in the printed word notice this saying then we're going to close it's, we got uh, these churches have got to want programs. So they, they know this verse as well. You've probably heard it before, but Paul wrote this one a chapter before in 2 Timothy, in chapter 2, verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I want to show you something. We've got to study. But I want you to notice this because Paul continues writing after this verse. (laughs) It's not just this verse. Notice what he says later than that. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker of whom is Hymene and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. You see, Paul's talking to Timothy about those that are bringing false doctrine into our churches. And we have to be careful of that. You see, some people think that these kind of messages, these kind of sermons are nitpicking, that we've just all got to learn to get along. Uh, You know, uh, that uh, like those, uh, uh, the reformers, and I hear a lot of different ministries, uh, they got this, you know, uh, cute little saying you know uh, in, in uh, uh, something about uh, uh, unity and truth and uh, you know something about the, uh, the or something about the essentials and then something in uh, it's just a bunch of garbage it's just a bunch of garbage is what it is they're saying oh uh, the things that are important will'll we'll, we'll agree on, but the things that are not important we're not going to divide our doctrine over. Uh, What have you found in the Bible that's not important? I I mean, what have you found in the Bible that is not important to your doctrine, that is not important to your life, that is not necessary to our faith? What is in the Bible that is not essential? I hadn't found it. And I'm not going to. And you see, this is why we have to study To show ourselves to prove. This is why we have to contend for the faith. This is why we have to hold on for dear life because more and more it's going to look like hey uh, this thing's getting pretty good. You see what Paul talks about Brother Mel come and get ready with a verse of song we're going to close. What Paul talks about here being able to identify that that is wrong teaching. If I was to tell you about the book of Revelation and the, the one that comes on the white horse, you've heard about him before, hadn't you? You read about him over toward the end of Revelation. The one that comes with the name on, on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. We know who we're talking about. Jesus Christ coming on that white horse. <coughs> but do you know what the first seal is? When Christ breaks that first seal, they're beginning at the end of times. When he breaks that first seal, you know what that is? The rider coming on a white horse. But it ain't Jesus. It ain't Jesus. Do you know what great deception is coming? None of us do. That's it. None of us do. I don't even know. None of these great teachers that we talk about, they don't know because this is a sealed book and it's not meant for us to understand everything crystal clear. We have to be ready. We have to be able to know when things start happening, oh yeah, that's what scripture is talking about. Because you see, it seems like according to what we see in Revelation, that probably what Satan is going to do is to mimic, to mock, or to uh, uh, imitate the millennial reign of Jesus Christ when people will say, Oh, this guy's, this could be, this is him. This is the Messiah. You see what's going on? You see why Jesus said that it would be possible to deceive the if it if you weren't in the Word, you could be deceived just like that. Don't fall for this this uh, easy, smooth, slick talking stuff. Show you the nice pictures and all such as that. You you listen to the teaching. You look at the the fruit the the fruit bearing. You look at what the fruit bearing is. Okay. If a mega pastor lives in a twenty million dollar, uh, thirty thousand square foot mansion, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't. I, there's nothing sinful about that. But I, I can't, for the life of me, comprehend how God can bless somebody that much financially, and they see it necessary for them, their wife, and a couple of kids uh, to have half an acre to live in. I don't. Not when there's things that need to be done in the kingdom. We have to be able to identify, to hear, to know when the truth is not being spoken in our churches. Because your friends, your loved ones, more than likely, they're going to hear these things. They, they, they'll bring these things up to you in conversation. You'll talk about these things, and you have to be able to know how to identify them for yourself and for them as well. It's the Holy Spirit.